Welcome to the Nutrition on a Mission podcast. I'm Dr. James Gieselman, and my co-host is Coach Drew Sams. Together, we bring some of the leading nutritional providers and world-class athletes from across the country who incorporate nutrition either in their practices or day-to-day lives. Our guests share with you their stories of what led them to their passion for nutrition and how you can incorporate into the practice into your life. So, Drew, how's your week going so far? Yeah, I mean, I mean, pretty good. Um, I'm a big sports fan and, you know, an even bigger Kansas City Chiefs fan. And, you know, we're coming off a, you know, pretty good win last night. So, you know, I can't, um, you know, I can't be mad at that. So, you know, excited to kick off the week strong. Man, that was a crazy game. You know, I came back from a conference. I've been in Washington, D.C. for uh, the better part of last week. Um, met a lot of great guests. So, in fact, we're going to have some of those guests come and join us on season two of the podcast. So, everyone listening, make sure that you uh, check that out. But, you know, on the plane, because obviously going to Washington, there's only so much you can do without Wi-Fi. Um, I started a new book. And so that book was Life in the Fasting Lane. It's actually with um, Jason Fung and a couple others. So, yeah, Eve Mayer and Megan Ramos. So I don't know if you've, you've read it, um, <clears throat> but, you know, it has a lot of um, really good things, especially, you know, talking about fasting, talking about using fasting in your day-to-day life. And I just found it really, um, you know, it just fit in really well because that's going to fit in perfectly with our discussion today. Yeah, that's, that's right, James. And, you know, that kind of leads me into, you know, welcoming our guest today, um, Dr. Jennifer Ganser. Dr. Ganser is a chiropractic board certified nutritionist. She's an instructor at national university of health sciences, where she teaches biochemistry, nutrition, and other clinical science courses. She's the director of mentorship and student affairs of the ACA's council of nutrition and chair of the exam committee of the American clinical board of nutrition. She's an author and peer reviewer for an international neurology journal, ACTA Scientific, and an associate editor and author for the Council of Nutrition's professional journal, Nutritional Perspectives. Locally, she is the past president of the county's chiropractic society, where she remains on the board as secretary and editor of the newsletter. Dr. Ganser, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I- I'm honored to uh, I'm honored to be here and uh, chat with you about some really fun stuff. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yeah, Dr. Ganser, can you can you tell our listeners a little more about yourself other than, you know, the introduction I gave? Yes, definitely. Uh I am an alumni from uh, the university that I am employed at, so I'm super excited to uh, be a part of my alma mater. And uh, it was after my chiropractic uh, curriculum and, and a doctorate that I did the postdoctorate in uh, nutrition. Uh, so I will say I eat, sleep, breathe biochemical pathways. And uh, when I when I think about how I live and how I teach, I literally see how different dynamic forces come together. So it, it's it's fun to be able to live, but also teach the things that I care and you know I'm so passionate about. So this is super exciting because normally my audience are just my own students. So I get to I get to share the platform with a few other people. <laughs> no, that's great. You know, I mean I I'm given extra credit for my students to listen to these podcasts, but I joke with them that I will probably never listen to one of these. Um, I just it's just something about the way my voice sounds on recordings that I you know it's just like lecture. They're gonna have to listen to me though. So <laughs> I but, do the same you know, thing anytime I'm at, I'm somewhere, uh, or if there's a good article that I just uh, that I just peer reviewed and uh, published. Extra credit is to read it. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah, you know, so like all of our guests this season, so Dr. Ganser and I met 
Um, and we've known each other for a couple of years now, serving on the Council on Nutrition Board. Um, and, and so that's where we met. And, you know, this first season of the podcast, we're really trying to introduce not only, you know, our ACA audience, um, our Council on Nutrition audience, but just everyone uh, to who the board, you know, really is. Um, mm -hmm. So Dr. Ganser is always full of energy. So I knew that, you know, you were going to be great to have on this podcast. So I have my first question. My burning question is, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about why you decided to be on the board um, and, you know, what you really do on the board? Absolutely. And, you know, that's a, that's actually a twofold question uh, and answer uh, because serving on the board with the Council on Nutrition uh not only as the director of mentorship, I dually get to have the director of, uh, of student affairs. So one of the biggest things being so passionate about our career and not just a career, but, you know, my way of life this my lifestyle is clinical nutrition and the opportunity to be on the board allows me to not only um, help bring clinical nutrition to the, the people, but it, it also helps us to be able to organize how we can improve what we offer and how we offer it. And uh, serving as the president for our local Cl uh, Pinellas uh, County uh, Society, being on a board, whether it's the, the nutrition or whether it's a you know local uh, a nonprofit, when you serve as a board member, you're not only in meeting people of like minds, but you're able to influence, you know, very important components about community and, uh, and information and educational resources. So that's a nice long and short answer on uh, how and why I, I enjoy being a board member for our uh, Council on Nutrition, but I sit on several boards. So uh, I, I'm definitely a proponent of being involved. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's good to hear, you know, kind of what, you know, why you're, on the board, but I, I kind of want to hear a little bit about what led you to be, you know, in chiropractic and nutrition in general. Oh, that's a great, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I happened to be a late bloomer when uh, I went into a chiropractic uh, a program. I was in my early thirties when I started uh, the chiropractic, uh, you know, what, three and a half year program. Uh, so since college for me was almost 10, 12 years past, it was quite an adventure to need a, I wanted a life change and I wanted it to be focused around health for myself and, and health care. And I did not want to go into uh, medicine and prescription drugs. I wanted the conservative approach. And the more I learned how valuable conservative care was and the ability to treat disease from the, uh, you know, from the origin, instead of waiting for illness and then, you know, waiting till it's too late and then trying to fix it in conservative care, both chiropractic and definitely in clinical nutrition, we find the source of the problem. You know, one of the things I repeatedly tell my students is find the trigger and remove it, find the imbalance and fix it. And that's really what we do. The sooner we can identify uh, an imbalance in the system, and that's whether it's musculoskeletal or organic, the sooner you catch it, the faster you're going to have uh, the optimal results. Uh, so the the drive for me, as I learned more and more about uh, the benefits of conservative care through musculoskeletal, I actually completed uh, the postdoctorate diplomate uh, for internal disorders while I was a chiropractic student. And then uh, 
after that, continued on to get a master's in nutrition. And uh, I don't think I've stopped <laughs> continuing uh, education. You know, the, the more you learn at a, the foundations, the higher the advanced, you know, uh, educational learning can build. So as you get better and better at foundations, more dynamic changes in, in education can come into play. So I'm kind of at a point where I have an excellent perspective of different systems. So again, that's a nice long answer around uh, how I got into chiropractic, but then how it just escalated to uh, bring me to where I am now as a specialist for clinical nutrition. No, you know, that's awesome. Uh, that's actually pretty similar to how I got into nutrition myself. I mean, I had done what I considered the straight chiropractic route, meaning, you know, I, I earned my degree and I had some nutrition courses and I thought I was good and I started practice. And then it was actually the patients that drove me back into nutrition because they were asking nice. all these questions. And I was like, yeah, I mean, this is what we learned. And then you start taking a master's and, and Drew knows, I mean, Drew's in the, just finishing up his master's. I mean, those classes, it just snowballs. You learn a yes. little bit something here or like I fall in the trap and I know Drew does because I've chatted with him about it. We start looking at research and one research article leads to five and then all of a sudden I have 35 yes. and I'm like, all right, I'm reading the abstracts because this is way too much. I call that the rabbit hole. You're going down the rabbit hole because before you know it, you've lost five hours and you don't know how you got there, but you learned so much. I absolutely, it gives me goosebumps. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and what's what's difficult about about that being a student is typically you're, you're looking at this research for an assignment <laughs> and then you spend five hours reading other yep. research. You never ended up working on the assignment. Absolutely. So, you know, it pushes, pushes you back a little bit and into a little, little crunch time as a student. <laughs> but it's going to make you so much uh, better as a clinician. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, for the students that uh, are, are listening, in case you haven't gone down those research rabbit holes yet, what we're referring to is you watch one YouTube video and I'm kind of dating myself with YouTube. So you watch one YouTube video and you spend three hours on YouTube. The now equivalent is of course going to be TikTok. So if you start watching one TikTok and start going down, you know, the rabbit hole, that's what we are geeking out about in terms of research. So just to make sure that everyone on the podcast listening can understand where we're coming from. Well, so, and it's fascinating because the science, when we get into those medical articles, right, you know, the author's sole like focus is one small aspect of a detail of this huge dynamic system. So each time you add that, you know, you read that and you're like, hmm, well, how does that affect this? And then you read that and it does actually, uh, you know, besides getting completely lost in it for hours at a time, you do. It, it, it's so much fun to see how much it builds and builds, uh, you know, for for compounded information. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, you know, kind of transitioning and talking about some of that research. Like, let's talk about some intermittent fasting. So I know it's a topic that you have written about before. So obviously you're um, passionate about it. It's something that I have done uh, off and on and pretty religiously for, for several years. I do a 16 and 8 fast. So, you know, I won't eat for 16 um, hours or at least, you know, I try not to. And then I have eight hours of where I consume actual food. But when you start talking about intermittent fasting, so... You know, when Drew was in the Masters, he, um, Drew, what was it called that you were talking, that you learned about? 
time time restricted feeding. Time restricted feeding. So uh, you know another phrase for it. In case anyone listening is like, you know, I haven't heard of uh, intermittent fasting, but I may have heard of time restricted feeding. So a lot of the same ideas. You know, reading the book, I'm really loving the book, and of course, I'm reading the book three years after I've been um, fasting. I find lots of benefits to it, but I also know that if you are, you know, somebody listening and you just do a Google search, you're going to have everything from Harvard to Scientific American to, you know, Hopkins. They're going to all give you their opinion. And then there's research of it. And just like research on coffee or eggs nowadays, one day it's good, one day it's bad. So if somebody's coming in, you know, you have a patient in your practice, you have a student in your practice. Like, let's just start off with some basic misconceptions and let's just start off with what is fasting? Yeah, actually, uh, you you hit the nail on the head because you have different forms of it. And as, as Drew had said, it's a category of calorie restriction and then under calorie restriction, which is not designed to be starvation and it is not by any means nutrient deficiency. It's simply cutting down on the uh, average intake of caloric, you know, macronutrients uh, per day. But within that category, there are different strategies. Intermittent fasting is one of them. And then you also have, uh, I was reading, uh, I was reading one, an article uh, where that's, you know, one day on, one day off. Uh, and for one of the problems I have, and you, the 16-8 is excellent. However, some of the research, which I disagree with, and I'm going to kind of tie this next, uh, this next, you know, almost like linear concept about intermittent fasting, and then I'll share my thoughts because I believe, you know, I strongly believe they go hand in hand. Intermittent fasting being time-restricted eating, the goal is to basically have enough time where the glycogen has been depleted, which is how the body stores glucose primarily uh, by the liver. And if you go a long enough, which typically has to be greater than 14 hours, once you deplete that, then you're going to shift your body to burning fat away from burning glucose for energy. However, if you want to take advantage of the metabolism and how our body is designed to optimize uh not just, you know, preventing weight gain and a lot of the metabolic disorders that we see, hyperglycemia, insulin resistance, metabolic, uh, metabolic syndrome, hypertension, high blood lipids, all of these go with diets that are very high in carb. So when you take an intermittent fasting approach and my, you said the 16 hours, I, I think that's an excellent target, no less than 14. And if you take advantage of that overnight, pair that with not eating two hours before bedtime, which is a very uh, specific strategy that I'll expand on in just a second. But if you don't also decrease the amount of simple sugars and the, and the poor choices of carbs and continue when you, if you just go back into a high carb diet coming off of the intermittent fast, you're still not necessarily optimizing the metabolic benefits such as weight gain and reversal of some of the, you know, the, the blood sugar problems that we have these days. So one of the articles uh, beautifully stated, if you do a an excellent 16 hour overnight fast. I'll even push, you know, 18 to 20. I'm really careful about getting higher to 20 because it can be really acidic and I don't want to go into the keto brain and I'll expand on that in just a minute. But if you're coming off an intermittent fast and then during that eight hours, you eat 
all day and you eat crap and high carb and high sugar, you're already, you know, you're, you're not maximizing. So I'm a big proponent of doing an overnight intermittent fast of anywhere from 14 to 16, 17 hours, not eating two hours before bed because that maximizes a very important uh, physiological reflex or, and hormonal uh, benefit that we call the migrating motor complex, which is a sweeping of the intestines during fasting. And if you don't utilize that, you end up having more constipation prone uh, bowel habits and gut overgrowth. So intermittent fasting overnight paired with our migrating motor complex of not eating two hours before bed has already shifted multiple dynamic systems of metabolism and gut health into a much more uh, normalized homeostatic level. But then during that, uh, during mealtime of the day, don't graze, don't eat all day long. It's beneficial to also uh, not only keep our, you know, what I call a modified ketogenic, Mm -hmm. not classic, unless you're directly initiating a purposeful weight loss program. If you simply just cut out and cut down on the carbs, cut down on the simple sugars, and make sure that you have fibers during your meal, you're already taking advantage of blunting uh, you know, post, post-meal sugar, as well as benefiting uh, blood lipids. And the modified ketogenic can also uh, further sustain the intermittent fasting. And then the migrating motor complex just keeps the intestines and the bowel habits healthy uh, collectively. So between the three, it really allows not only for weight loss for people who are doing it for the purpose of, uh, of weight, but it's also going to help stabilize blood sugar, you know, in the realm of prediabetes and some of these, you know, high blood sugar uh, concerns and metabolic disorders. We do know that the paired uh, ketogenic with intermittent fasting has significant positive effects on getting your blood sugar back down and getting the insulin to be uh, to be sensed by the body again. So not only can it prevent, it can actually start to reverse some of the negative effects of, of our uh, obesity epidemic and some of the fasting blood sugar problems where people won't need to take insulin. You can utilize the dietary strategies and the dietary food choices instead. Fascinating stuff. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Um, so you talked about some gut health, which I, you know, I, I say, I, and Drew can tell you, I tell every single class, the gut microbiome is something that when I was going through school, I mean, we didn't talk about, and it wasn't until I was in my master's program that we talked about the gut. And I tell you yep. the gut, when I tell students at an undergraduate level that I don't have time to go into it, it's not one of those, like, I just don't want to talk about it scenarios. It's like, I don't have time to talk about this. Yes. Like, it is so yes. complex, but everything. And it's changing. They're finding more and more. I mean, this, it's still just exploding. <laughs> I mean, our mood, it's connected to our mood, the gut-brain axis. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone just thinks, you know, if I have a bad gut, I have constipation, diarrhea, bloating. Like, that's like a sliver of what's going it's on. Real, yes. Yes. Well, they so, say leaky gut, leaky brain. hundred oh, percent, you know, and so, you, you know, you're talking a, a lot of stuff there, you know, I'm going to piggyback a little bit on the ketogenic diet because that's something that mm-hmm. I'm familiar with. And in fact, the ketogenic diet is when I first found out about intermittent fasting. Um, mm-hmm. They do, they go, they, they pair really well. They go hand in hand. And I, you know, Drew mm-hmm. was asking me the other day, like, 
probably still keto because of something I was eating. We're not going to discuss what I was eating, but I, I would, I would call it a modified keto at this point. Like, Absolutely. You know, by taking advantage of the intermittent fasting, really trying to do that. Uh, I say religiously. I mean, I've never been a big breakfast guy. You know, I, I did not necessarily start out intermittent fasting just because I wanted to. It was, I started inter intermittent fasting to, to go hand in hand with the ketogenic. As I kind of transitioned off ketogenic, I kept intermittent fasting. But it's also one of those things like, you know, I've been here at the university since about six o'clock this morning, just trying to catch up on some things. And so for me, I've gone through way too much coffee already, and I am on to my tea now. So I'm trying some tea just to, so I still have something. Um, but you know, for me, it's always been, I like to have lectures in the morning. That's typically where I lecture. Um, and, and so I don't want to eat first thing. And you know, if I'm hanging out with friends or family, typically we're going to eat between the hours of noon and, you know, maybe eight or so. And so that's kind of my window, but for patients or, you know, even students or clients who want to get like started, how would you tell them to get started? Cause for me, yeah, what I like you... to just do is. Find out what works best for you, but a lot, and I'm sure you see it every day, I need a, most patients need a little bit more guidance than find out what works best for you. Definitely, definitely. Well, you pointed out some really important, uh, some really important important keys that we want to that we want to mention. So the first is I completely agree with you about modified ketogenic. So if you look at the true classic definition. They want to have high fat and, you know, they do say the type of fat matters, right? Now, I'm a little less strict than some other, uh, you know, nutritional sources, and I'll share what I mean by that in a minute. But the classic is going to be high fat, medium protein, low carb, and typically the target is under 50 grams a day. The problem with this is if you start to eliminate the true category of starchy vegetables, you are eliminating the very important legumes, which are your nuts, uh, excuse me, uh, beans and peas and lentils. Mm -hmm. And we also eliminate a lot of your colored root vegetables. You do not want to long-term eliminate these because one, the more colorful, the colorful fruits and vegetables that could be eliminated on a strict classic keto, you're losing fiber. Fiber is an important component of gut health. One, it improves the stool formation for bowel regularity to go to the bathroom every day, but it also feeds the microbiome because we know that abundance and diversity of food sources directly influence the abundance and diversity of the microbiome. So if you eliminate those fruits and vegetables, you're losing the roughage and the fiber component those also decrease the rate of glucose absorption, so it helps blunt that, uh, that post-meal sugar. It also traps some of the uh, biles uh, and will have a positive effect on blood lipids. Lastly, those colorful uh, choices, those are immense uh, uh, dietary choices of vitamins and minerals. And a lot of the colorful fruits and vegetables, including coffee and tea, have one more bowel uh, benefit, which is called a polyphenolic, and that actually feeds the microbiome. So you're losing the antioxidant potential, the fiber potential, and the uh, microbiome uh, potential if you eliminate these food sources long term. 
So modified ketogenic to me is still going to take advantage of having a high fat, low carb, uh, medium protein. And I'm going to expand on how do I do, you know, I'm going to give you a direct clinical pearl of how to help, you know, somebody who wants to get started to do this. The easy answer is cut out the carbs, the breads, the pastas, the cereals, you know, those are the easy things to get rid of that are going to be excessive carbohydrates in diets, right? Shift the, shift the carbohydrates to, uh, you know, a, a single serving. Don't eat the whole uh, white baked potato, you know, eat mm-hmm. half of it or a third of it and have it be a leftover. Another trick with, uh, non, with lowering glycemic load, uh, but still having the benefit of fasting uh, with a carb choice, if you cook and cool rice and if you cook and cool potatoes, you actually change the chemical property when you cool them, the way that they restructure makes them a resistant starch, and it almost completely blunts the glycemic response. Even though reheating them, so if you wanted to have your stir-fry rice, cook it, cool it, get everything else ready, or cook it the day before and use it as a leftover the next day. Same thing, if you want to have a twice-baked potato with butter and bacon, and you want to blunt the glycemic response, or the uh, you know cold potato salad, when you cook and cool them, the glycemic response changes because when the it, it actually reforms in a different gelatin of structure, mm-hmm. and it stays in the bowel because we can't digest it, and it goes uh, into the microbiome and uh, increases the the ability to have a bowel movement. So you take away the glycemic response. So cooked cold rice, cooked cold potatoes, two of my staples in my ketogenic healthy uh, approach for uh, modified ketogenic. And one of the other things we have to really remember, and especially because, you know, you mentioned you're you're pushing that 16, 18 hour, uh, you know, point. We have to remember time restriction, intermittent fasting and ketogenic diets are not about malnutrition and they're not about starvation. Absolutely. Every time the body makes a ketone body, right? And most, most people getting interested in ketogenic diets know that beta hydroxybutyrate, mm-hmm. it's the primary ketone body. You can even take it as a supplement. You know, they're now selling them as a, a beta hydroxybutyrate salts or yeah. uh, esters. However, every time the body naturally does that. So by the time you've gotten to true physiological ketosis, which is not diabetic ketoacidosis. They are totally different. A person who is intermittent fasting on a low carb diet is purposely achieving physiological ketosis, which means your body is burning fat. You're literally living off of your own fat reserves. However, the problem is every ketone body that is generated drops an acid into the blood and it's therefore very acidic. As healthy as it is, and I do this every day and every night, you have to alkalize and you have to hydrate. So in the mornings, when I also am not eating breakfast, I always make a protein, excuse me, I always make a phytogreen, a phytocreen drink. I'm either using an emergency packet with some B vitamins and minerals mm-hmm. or a magnesium potassium citrate, one of the powders. There's also some excellent choices if anybody, and I'm not sponsored, I'm just giving some examples. No, I'm not sponsored by anything I'm listing. Amazing Grass is another company. They have multiple flavors and each flavor is a different combination of 
uh, fruits, vegetables, and, you know, different greens and berries, for example. So that's minerals, that's vitamins, and that's alkalizing. So the powders are going to balance some of the acidity that comes with the ketogenic diet. And when you hydrate and acidify, people who are new to ketosis, uh, I'm sure you know the word the keto flu or keto brain, right? where you get a little fuzzy or maybe your skin, you know, you start to just not you get a little wacky. Mm-hmm. That's also part of the uh, acidity potential. However, rapid weight loss, which also is a, uh, you know, a beneficial outcome of uh, weight loss driven ketogenic intermittent fasting combinations. When you have rapid weight loss, we have uh, the potential to drop a lot of toxins into the blood because the, the, the adipose, the fat tissues store and hide away toxins. So one of the other potential effects uh, for, for people that are, you know, um, getting ready to try or have tried and had a negative response is potentially too much acidity, not enough, uh, not enough of the replacement of the vitamins and minerals that it needs in addition to potentially having a rapid weight loss. And I've got one more really important, um, clinical pearl. So in the morning, when you're taking your, uh, emergency, you know, vitamin C, alkalizing mineral fizzy drink or one of the uh, greens powders, I do a small portion of the amino acids, not a big gigantic scoop. However, what ketosis does is it's going to uh, create a little bit of blood glucose being made. We still have to sustain blood glucose. Just because we're eating low carb doesn't mean that we don't need carb and glucose in the system. Our red blood cells can't use ketones. So the red blood cells in and of itself require the body to continuously provide it, uh, the glucose. uh. However, one of the other things that we have to remember, and I'm going to use a really big word that you both will recognize, but for for new listeners and new ketogenic uh, followers, carnitin. We have to have a very important molecule called carnitin. Otherwise, as much as your body is going to give you those ketone bodies, you can't burn the fat to make them into energy without this very important molecule. This molecule is is reliant on amino acids and B9 and B12 to be synthesized in the body. And more importantly, the skeletal muscle, who's the biggest muscle or the biggest organ system, it can't make it. It has to wait for the smaller organs to make it, drop it into the blood and send it out. So part of a optimal ketogenic um, and overnight uh, intermittent fast is don't cut out the fibers, right? Have them in low quantities, alkalize at, with your minerals and your B vitamins, have a little bit of a protein amino acid uh, in the mix, but supplementing with uh, alpha lipoic acid and L-carnitin are going to boost the body's ability to turn those uh, carbs and fats into energy better and somebody who doesn't have enough carnitin might not be able to potentially use all of the ketones. So the the I would I like to use between uh, 500 uh, milligrams of the carnit the Alcar acetyl L carnitin mm-hmm. as the supplement, and I'll do that uh, twice twice a day, especially for people who are starting out new. 
Now, once you get acclimated to it, which is called keto adaptation, you don't have to do everything so strict. Your body's a little bit better at, at adjusting, uh, but those are some uh, those are some clinical pearls that can really make a big difference to have a successful uh, go go about as you incorporate it and as you adapt to it. Oh, yeah, those I mean, are great. Um, just just adding on to that, and and kind of you know in a sense. Um, switching gears. Um, you know, I heard James talk about earlier, like drinking coffee in the mornings and, and drinking tea in the mornings for our listeners who, you know, may be new to this, what can we intake outside of, you know, the time when we're intaking calories, you know, what's acceptable, what's, you know, what's not acceptable. Well, if we follow bulletproof coffee, one of the things that you can do is not just have the coffee, but cut out the sugar and use a, a combination of, you know, ghee, which is really a purified butter or, uh, you know, higher quality butter, like uh, Irish butter, for example, and then pair that with an equal amount of our coconut oil. The coconut oil is a medium chain fatty acid. And if you put that in your coffee and blend it for just a hot, quick minute or uh, on the blender, you emulsify it. It's creamy, rich, and delicious. And the awesome thing about the coconut oil, your brain and your body can immediately use it. You don't have to have bile. You don't have to have fancy digestive uh, techniques. It goes right into the bloodstream. Your tissues can take it up and the brain loves it. It has an excellent opportunity to cross the blood-brain barrier, and you can kick the you can kick the uh, the keto brain and uh, some of the you know the the I'm running out of energy sources. Uh, so the the coconut oil uh, in the coffee in the morning is an excellent uh, option. Uh, and as I had also mentioned, uh, if you are trying to have two big meals a day, which take advantage of the of fasting but on a shorter term. One, it's going to be better for your digestive system to have six hours in between the meals for that migrating motor complex. However, eat until you're full, have the higher fat, but quality fats. So I'm not opposed to bacon. I will have bacon. However, I'm going to take the bacon lard and I'm going to toss some Swiss chard or some Brussels sprouts. You know, I'm going to use a, a, a rich green uh, that's going to be full of vitamins and minerals. And it also has that antioxidant because a high fat diet can have a little bit of, a, of a, what we call oxidative stress. So when we pair it with vitamins, minerals and plant based sources, you can kind of blunt some of those. So I'll use the lard to cook uh, and it's delicious. And it also uh, it, it, it's filling. You have a, a better potential of having that that satiety feeling. So, so if I'm hearing you right, you can intake some, you know, you can't have some caloric intake outside of the, you know, um, hours that you're, you know, feeding. I, I think it's necessary to have two big meals a day. However, skipping breakfast for, for me, I will, I always, especially cause I'll, I'll go to campus and I'll teach until, you know, two, three o'clock before I'm getting home. So my lunch is normally one to two, but my lunch is my biggest meal. I'm having my leftovers from the night before. So I'm eating a full plate. I don't have sandwiches. I don't, you know, I cut out, you know, a lot of the, and that's the hard part, you know, who doesn't love a breakfast sandwich with a uh, English muffins and croissants, but I just choose to not eat them. However, the breakfast that I have is going to be my, my shake. 
It's got the, uh, it's got the phytogreens. I always alkalize and, and the protein powder. So I, I choose my shake every morning as my, as my, and, and I, I make homemade kombucha. So I always put about a quarter cup of my, uh, of my mushroom magic fungal yeah. probiotic in there as well. <laughs> that's you know, not keto. That's just a little, that's just a, that's a side conversation. <laughs> you know, being out talking about like the breakfast sandwiches and who doesn't love a good breakfast sandwich, you know, out at the conference this weekend, um, you know, talking to a lot of people, they're like, what do you eat in Iowa? Like, that's what a TSA agent asked me yesterday. Like, what are you known for? And I said, what do you mean? What are we known for? Right. And he's like, well, what do you eat in Iowa? And I said, well, see, we have this thing in Iowa in the Midwest called Casey's. And if you haven't had Casey's oh, breakfast pizza, I love Casey's. I used to eat out. pizza. And she just looked at me. She goes, oh, that kind of sounds weird. And I was like, well, you obviously haven't had it. So <laughs> say it again, but, though. I talked over you because you, you took I went to high school in Iowa and you took me back to uh, eating Casey's pizza in high school. <laughs> so I didn't hear what you said from Casey's. Oh, well, yeah, the Casey's breakfast pizza. I mean, the TSA agent had no idea. She was just like, what? <laughs> so, you know, and, and that kind of what you were saying about having some calories and, and, you know, the question Drew asked was great. So I take that back to finding what's best for you. You know, I remember the first time I ever heard of Bulletproof Coffee. I remember, and, you know, Chris is going to be on here. Um, he's one of our future guests, uh, Chris Excellent. Irving. He's the catologist. Yeah. So if you follow him on social media. And I remember texting Chris. I was brand new to keto. <clears throat> And I texted him and I said, I literally just heard of a coffee recipe where I could put butter in it. Now, you know, we don't, you know, talking about sponsors. I mean, if Kerrygold, the executives at Kerrygold are mm -hmm. listening, they are more than welcome to sponsor. I am more than happy to take all the Irish <laughs> butter that they want yep, to send me. Yeah, I love me. the Kerrygold. Uh, yeah. Right? So, you know, I text Chris and I said, this cannot be true. He goes, yeah, man. He's like, that's called Bulletproof Coffee. He's like, it's a little bit different. And that's when I started exploring, you know, coconut oil in there. Mm -hmm. now, I will tell listeners, if you've never had Bulletproof Coffee, it is something to ease yourself into. Like ease yourself into that, ease yourself into, you know, the ketogenic diet. I, you know, you were talking about brain fog. I usually tell patients and, and students, mm -hmm. that you, have one, you know, a couple things. You could have the keto flu. That's very common. You're, it's mm -hmm. typically because, you know, you may not be doing it the right way. There's definitely things that we can do to mitigate that but i said the other one is if you try bulletproof coffee you could there could be some what i like to describe as gi discomfort i find mm -hmm. that to be the most polite way of saying it's fat it's gonna come out like <laughs> <laughs> yeah go slow go slow absolutely <laughs> Yeah, but the trick with the bulletproof coffee is to match the butter to the coconut oil, but you can't be using creamer and you can't be no. using the you can't be dumping the sugar in there. Yep. Uh, uh, I would normally uh, if I made a full Vitamix uh, pitcher of it, I will use uh, probably three to four droppers of my stevia. I like I like the liquid stevia droppers. Mm -hmm. It doesn't that they don't contain uh, any of the other alternative sugars because it's zero glycemic. Uh, you, if you use too much, it can get a little bit bitter, but for me that it, it perfectly meshes the richness. Uh, and it, I even, if I don't have what I don't drink, I'll put it in the refrigerator and it's absolutely delicious cold. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I kind of want to segue into, um, more of, you know, our, our audience is, is going to want to know if, if they should, you know, be doing this. 
who is the target audience for intermittent fasting? Is it, you know, the elderly, is it obese people with chronic inflammation? Like who are we targeting? I truly fully believe that optimal health, anti-aging, anti-degeneration is going to benefit everybody. Anybody, even if as little as don't eat two hours before bed and then, you know, don't eat until 16 hours the following morning and just cut out some of the sugars and the extra carb sources. If that's as little as you do, as you work your way, those dietary changes, you don't have to follow a strict diet and, and carry an app in the grocery store and, and, and weigh out every, you know, every, uh, every choice, cut out the sugar, cut down on the carbs, the simple sugars, the candies, the breads, the cereals, the, uh, and then don't eat before bed and then try to get that 16 hour overnight. However, you absolutely have to have a B vitamin complex. If you're not taking a high quality a multivitamin, you need the minerals as well. So I'm a big proponent if, if especially um, if you're if the plant-based diet, and when I use the word plant-based diet, I always like to clarify, I am not talking about vegetarian or vegan. A plant-based diet can include an omnivore like myself. I eat two big meals a day. I, I don't exclude any foods. However, my meal is much less meat. However, I don't not eat it. So plant-based is ensuring nuts, beans, seeds, legumes, uh, meat, seafood, fruits, vegetables, all collectively. So if you're not eating a plant-based diet, you're missing a very big component of vitamins and minerals. The vitamins and minerals are required for your body to use the ketones. So I always like to suggest at minimum a B-complex a good multivitamin uh, to to make sure. And if you really want to stimulate it, you can dive in and get the uh, the Alcar, the the carnitin supplement as well. Yeah, no, that's you know that's really good info because I have patients all the time. So Drew and I started uh, Iowa Performance Institute um, over the summer, and so you know when we have clients, they're overwhelmed. You know, I find it with students and you you might find the same way. They tell me nutrition is one of the hardest classes that I teach. Now, I don't know that I agree with that because I think nutrition, and of course I'm, you know, biased because I have a diplomate in it and it's what I do, but I don't think it's the most difficult. I think there's just so much information. And, you know, for us with actual, like all three of us with actual nutrition degrees, it's yeah. still hard for even us, let alone the layperson. Like the layperson just does a Google search and everything's right. good. Everything's going to kill you, but everything will also, you know, anti-aging and anti this. It's all right. about context of what the situation is. Like I, you know, I go on rants with the students about saturated fats and we had go through that whole history and that's kind of a keto history, you know? And, and so what I find is that patients and students really want I want to say simplified information, but it's actional. I would call it more actionable. Like they just want to know, like, so your, your comment about removing, cut out the whites, like cut out the white bread, the white flour, the white sugar. That's a starting point because if it's a huge starting point, if you were to try and eat perfectly, no one's going to like, no one's going to be able to do it long-term. Like it's all about making the baby steps, making them habits Okay, yeah. now great. You know what? It's been 30 days. You're at your 60-day follow-up, whatever it might be. Let's 
let's implement this. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing I can't do well, is I can't cut somebody cold turkey. And I, I'm sure you've found the same thing. No, it's not. It, it's too difficult 100%. cognitively and it's stressful. It shouldn't be stressful and it becomes stressful. Eating should not be stressful. It should be enjoyable. Yeah. And intuitive. I mean, if you look at kids, like something I was you know, hearing about in the book or reading about in the book, and it was, you know, kids and talk kind of going back to hormone function and how hormone mm-hmm. regulates everything. If you notice, like if you've had little kids, like I don't, I don't have children, but I've been around enough. We have enough in the family that, you know, if kids don't want to eat, they will just not eat. Can I go play? Can I go do something now? Yet by the time right. you're like, you know, high single digits, double digits, you've learned like, oh yeah, this is dinner time. I have to eat now. This is lunchtime. I have to eat now. School, you have lunch from 1115 to 1145. If you don't eat right. then, you're not eating until you get home. Like we condition ourselves and then the hormone function comes in, right? Like when I'm, right. I mean, I think all three of us, we are very busy people. There are days that I get home and I'm like, I haven't eaten or I get to practice at four o'clock and I'm like, <laughs> That's where that protein, that little bit of protein and that, and your phyto green shake comes in. You, you take my students every day. I I've got my shaker ball in there. Right. I mean, (laughs) it's like all of a sudden I realized, man, you know, I may have done a 20 hour fast. Like I just didn't even, and it's not that I set out to do it. I just haven't eaten or haven't been able to. And you start to over time change those hormone responses. Like yes, the hormones will, will still be there and will still activate but like ghrelin, I mean, if, if ghrelin will activate, it'll tell you you're hungry. Mm-hmm. But if you're so busy and, you know, after about an hour or so, maybe two hours, it's going to peak and you're going to be back to just doing what you were doing. Well, when you mentioned hormones, I think uh, you that there's two things I want to uh, expand on. One, let me follow up with my initial thought for the hormones. I think that it's important to appreciate that not only did we mention, you know, it can restore insulin sensitivity. However, Long term, uh, the some while we're in that adaptive state, unfortunately, as healthy as the ketogenic diet is, we have to be careful because it does activate both the cortisol and the epinephrine, which is our stress our stress hormones and our stress uh, neurotransmitters. So we also have to appreciate that uh, the hormone of fasting, which is glucagon, even though it breaks down fat, it also stimulates the the body's natural synthesis of glucose, and it does that with proteins. So we want to make sure that we're not uh, losing protein mass. So some of it, as as op, as optimal as the intermittent fasting is, you do really want to be careful. It's not we don't want to instill the concept that a twenty hour fast and eating once a day that should not be the norm. It can happen. It won't be detrimental, but uh, definitely you know being a, needing to understand that 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 there are certain uh, metabolic responses to that. Now, you mentioned carbs and, you know, practical, eliminate the white stuff, the white stuff, the breads and the set, you know, when you do that, the the other benefit is those are very high in another a pro inflammatory component, which we call the glutens. So by mm-hmm. decreasing those, not only does it have the of uh, the fasting benefits, you also have some anti-inflammatory uh, responses just by getting those down in the diet. And when you mentioned a uh, carb, I think that I've gotten so used to what fats are. So why don't we talk about healthy fats for a minute, right? So if somebody wants to know, so what can I eat? 
you know, the, we already mentioned the coconut oil, uh, cooking with olive oil, uh, some of our healthy, uh, you know, I, I'm, if I know that I'm rushing and I also, uh, have short term, I'll, I'll get, I'll just grab the peanut butter and grab a celery or an apple. And, you know, my meal will be fruit, vegetables, and some peanut butter. Uh, we've got our avocado, an excellent source of, uh, different fats. Mm -hmm. And then our ghee, which is the, we mentioned our, our, uh, clarified butter. I do recommend to staying away from the margarine. However, if you're going to be cooking, I'm not totally opposed to uh, the saturated fat, which is fat that's solid at room temperature. I will cook with butter. However, it's not the staple. Eating butter and just butter is not keto. It's keto, but that's not the right way to go about it. However, by substituting butter with our margarine and cooking with more of the coconut olive oil, safflower oils, uh, I think that's, you know, sautés and such. Th those are excellent ways to how do I use fat? And I'm a big proponent of mayonnaise. I use mayonnaise. I'm not afraid of mayonnaise. Sometimes I eat more mayonnaise on my burger than I do burger. <laughs> no, <that's crazy>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's with lettuce and tomato and pickles. And then I have my side of uh, Brussels sprouts. So uh, I make up for it. What, what are your thoughts on uh, some fat sources? No, those are all good. So I usually, I, I mean, I love avocado. I ask the nutrition class every year, every semester, whether or not they like it. And I am blown away at the amount of students that don't like it. Oh, I, I and it's it. usually almost like a 50-50 split. And it comes out to, it's not necessarily the taste, but it's a texture thing for a lot mm. of people. So that's what, I, that, which surprises me because as a person who loves guacamole and, and drinks. Oh, Absolutely. Potato, I, I just don't know how you don't like it. I agree. Yeah. Well, some people have the weird cilantro gene where cilantro tastes like soap, which I don't, I don't think I yeah. could wake up a, a day and not be able to have cilantro in my, uh, in my guacamole. So I agree. Right. I, I'm a big proponent of guacamole and, and I love, I love avocados. I could just, I'll, I'll, I'll eat the pit while I'm driving, spit it out and then scoop with my <laughs> finger if I don't have a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Dr. Ganser, um, as a coach, I'm always trying to apply these conversations and, and see how I could bring them back to my athletes. Um, a couple of questions kind of arise, um, looking at this one, what's going to be, you know, the most applicable to bring back to an athlete? Is it the body composition? Is it the inflammation? And two, um, how does this affect like nutrient timing? How, you know, if my athletes, you know, are told to put, you know, a certain amount of calories in, you know, this, this much time before practice or this much time before performance, what if that isn't falling in their window of, you know, their, their eight hour window? What, what, what can I do? So the last thing that you mentioned, uh, is what I'm more uh, worried about. I am not strict with the eight. I'm strict with, having the, the amount of time overnight and then eat two times big meals. If you need more, if instead of a third meal, as you've already heard me say, a shake that has amino acids, a, I don't care if it's whey protein, pea protein, because if you're the, the prote, pro, proteolysis, breaking down of muscle will happen because the body's going to direct under under both epinephrine and cortisol, the body's going to start to take down muscle and it's going to route it to the liver to make the glucose. 
However, when you're when you're appropriately fasted and you have some of the balance, we will blunt. So we don't want your athletes to be competing with building muscle and losing it to ketosis. Uh, now, as far as nutrient, I'm going to uh, I'm going to break that into two answers. How do they plan for nutrient and caloric intake? One, you have to remember macronutrients, carbs, fats, and proteins is what the body uses to make energy. Micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, and some of the, uh, you know, other, the phytonutrients, your quercetin, uh, turmeric, sulforaphane, for example, uh, catechins in your green tea. Those are nutrients that epigenetically support the antioxidant pathways. The vitamins and minerals allow the pathways of the carb, fat, and protein to appropriately be converted to energy. So you need all of it. An omnivore plant-based diet with two meals a day, to me, is an optimal strategy and making sure that the uh, fiber is included because that's going, to, uh, that's going to give you macronutrients, micronutrients, and then you are upregulating the antioxidant pathways. And I could talk about antioxidants literally for hours on end. The short version of that, though, is it's one of my favorite lectures to teach. <laughs> If you look at the mechanism of antioxidants, they're really the ability to fight damaging molecules. How does the body do that? Minerals and vitamins. So if you don't have B3, if you don't have vitamin C, vitamin E, CoQ10, alpha-lipoic acid, you are already at a disadvantage. And the one I forgot was CoQ10. Those directly, their mechanism of how they work is how they get rid of damaging and antioxidants. So if you look at what I just listed and then mention that uh, antioxidants are additionally uh, fought with mineral dependent special enzymes, what are those? Those are micronutrients, micronutrients, vitamins, and minerals. So if you want to ensure macronutrient conversion to energy so that they aren't fatigued or exhausted or protein wasting, you need to have the optimal high fat, eat the two big meals, supplement with the shake, and make sure that it's a plant-based omnivore uh, diet with different fruits, vegetables, and fibers, because you need the colors and you need the textures. So that's, I don't know if I answered it specifically enough, but two meals a day, the protein shake and omnivore omnivore plant-based is is how I would go. Definitely. Yeah. You, you definitely hit on, you know, exactly what I was asking. Thank you. Excellent. Well, and uh, interestingly, uh, it, it would be a supplement. Uh, CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, is actually uh, not only is it a promoter of fat metabolism, it up it stimulates and supports the machinery so that we can break down fat for energy. In a different mechanism, it's also a really potent antioxidant, and it down regulates some of the uh, pro-inflammatory uh, factors uh, that uh, that so it can blunt oxidative stress, and it can also boost fat metabolism. So if you want to take a supplement, add in your uh, alpha lipoic acid, your carnitin, and some CLA. You know, that's that's great because what I tell students all the time is on a cellular level, that's where nutrition mm -hmm. has to start. I said it's not the sexy, like everyone wants to talk about it. Like most students, I remember being a student. Right. I thought that was boring. I didn't want to know like oh, this is so cool on a cellular level. Like now I do because that's that's your it foundation is. building yeah. block. If your cells 
and talking like epigenetics is just a whole nother conversation. Like, oh, we're, yeah. we're gonna have to have you back for that for sure. Like the oh, I could I could talk. I could oh, you, that gives me goosebumps <laughs> again. Don't tease like me. The epigenetics <laughs> of it, like that we can, you know. I, see, here's my tangent. Mm-hmm. My students know Drew's probably just like rolling his eyes now. Here's a tangent for you. It's all about the S and P's, like those single nucleotide polymorphisms. Like the fact that we could literally, what we are eating, the environment that we're exposed to could literally turn on and off some genes, like gene expressions. Like it fascinates me. Yeah. So circling back. Absolutely. And and, and maybe that leads me into my last question, you know, because we're about out of time. Um, We obviously been around for a while in in the profession. We've seen a lot of things. No need to tell people how long. Uh, but we're experienced. So here's my question. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but this is what we've been asking a lot of our guests is if you had a crystal ball, what do you think is the next big thing in the field of nutrition? Ooh, you know, I think that's, it's interesting to me because I think that there was a functional medicine movement and that has gone to integrative medicine movement And even though my answer is not going to be a a nutrient per se, if we look at how popular and better understood clinical nutrition is, and when I say clinical nutrition, I'm talking like what you said, nutrient utilization by the body on the cellular and molecular levels, such as nutrigenomics and the epigenetic uh, abilities of dietary supplemental strategies and modifiable lifestyle uh, changes. But in the movement of what's happening, medicine is now, when I say medicine, I don't mean what we already know from the conservative model care. We're now starting to see that before somebody's getting a prescription, they're coming to dietary and supplements and using you know, the changes. Uh, and the biggest thing that I already am starting to see, more hospitals are now using dietitians and clinical nutritionists and certified nutritionists before they're prescribing surgeries and before they're going on some of these hard uh, prescriptions. So the more the medical community is educated and the more that people are interested in asking their medical doctors, we have a better chance of us coming together as a profession where clinical nutritionists, whether, you know, whatever your, you know, credential is, it's becoming more accepted because the science of how nutrients are utilized by the body and how they prevent and reverse disease is finally coming to, uh, you know, there's, there's lights that we haven't seen before. Whereas, uh, you know, Linus Pauling Institute of the micronutrient center, you know, that, that was cutting edge. Now everybody has, you know, uh, micronutrient uh, information, you know? So I think it's exciting that the science and the health outcomes are getting better and more accepted across healthcare professions so that we have a better chance of co-management. Excellent. Yeah. That's my, that's my nutrigenomic epigenetic. Don't we all just need to love each other and eat a plant-based omnivore diet, ketogenic, intermittent fasted lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, you know, as as Dr. James mentioned, we are, you know, about out of time. So, you know, I I just want to thank you again for, you know, coming on and joining us. Yes. Thank you. I I had an excellent time. I love sharing. I love sharing my passion and great questions, great dialogue. So thank you very much. Remember new podcast episodes will be released weekly and we'll drop on Spotify, Apple podcasts and more every Monday with 
special behind-the-scenes clips shared on our social media channels throughout the week. We appreciate everyone tuning in today. Thank you again, Dr. Ganser, for joining us. Uh, this has been the Nutrition on a Mission podcast from the ACA Council on Nutrition. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Nutrition on a Mission pod and follow Drew and myself at Iowa Performance Institute for updates on our guests and our episodes. So thanks. Yeah, I can't wait for you guys to join us again next time. The views and comments expressed herein are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the ACA Council on Nutrition or the American Chiropractic Association.